All right, book five of Paradise Lost. As you remember, in book four, Satan sat squat like a toad at Eve's ear. And here, at the beginning of book five, we see the results of that. Uh, Eve, Adam wakes up, and Eve is not awake. Um, He says, line nine, he found unawakened Eve with tresses discomposed and glowing cheek as through unquiet rest. So the glowing cheek is ominously parallel to the the red fire that Uriel saw when he saw Satan soliloquizing. It's kind of the external manifestation of some unquiet inner, internal state. And Eve tells about the, the dream. She starts around line 35. Methought close at mine ear, one called me forth to walk with gentle voice. I thought it thine. So we know this is Satan. It's at her ear, and she was deceived. She thought this was Adam talking to her. And the voice, look at the thing the voice tells her, particularly about the stars. Um, Heaven wakes with all his eyes, whom to behold but thee, nature's desire, in whose sight all things joy, with ravishment, attracted by thy beauty still to gaze. So this is an alternative explanation for the stars. Here the stars are all gazing, they're all here to gaze at you because you're so wonderful. That's very different than what Adam told her about the stars. And in the dream, the uh, she is led to the tree that is forbidden to them, the tree of knowledge. And line 55, beside it stood one shaped and winged like one of those from heaven. So it wasn't Adam, it was an angel. And the angel is saying, well, why is this tree forbidden? And it says, line 63, forbid who will, none shall from me withhold longer thy offered good. He plucked, he tasted, me damp horror chilled at such bold words, vouchsafed with a deed so bold. So she sees him and she's, you know, she's horrified by this. And yet the uh, the angel isn't hurt in the dream. He calls it a fruit divine. Says line seventy, you're able to make gods of men. And says says to Eve, taste this, and be henceforth among the gods thyself, a goddess, not to earth confined. And then line eighty five. He gives her the fruit, the pleasant savory smell, so quickened appetite that I, methought, could not but taste. Forthwith, up to the clouds, with him I flew, and underneath beheld the earth outstretched immense. So again, just as, remember in earlier when she God led her to Adam, she kind of, uh, of almost without any volition, went along with him. Uh, here too, methought, uh, I uh, could not but taste. It's not even like she chose to taste, it just happened. And when it does, she has the power of flight. She flies up uh, like and sees the earth from above. Uh, now, obviously, uh, this dream is echoing what is going to happen. Uh, and Satan is preparing, uh, he, he's telling the story here. He's preparing a narrative for her to believe in. Uh, look at Adam's understanding of this dream. 
He says, line 101, that there are many lesser faculties that serve reason as chief. Among these, fancy next her office holds. So he's saying that you know there's a hierarchy of of the, in in a, the uh, human mind. Reason is the is the boss, and fancy or imagination comes second. And fancy takes the things from the five senses and makes up uh, imaginations, images, and then reason uh, puts those into their proper place. But when you sleep, line one ten, oft in her absence. Mimic fancy wakes to imitate her, that is, reason, but misjoining shapes, wild work produces often, most in dreams, ill-matching words and deeds long past or late. Some such resemblance, methinks, I find, of our last evening's talk in this thy dream. So he's saying, and this is actually you know, very sophisticated uh, theory about dreams, well, it's just, you know, the imagination keeps on working and it's got those sensory inputs and it just kind of puts them together in weird ways. And uh, you can see we were talking about the, the, the tree of knowledge the other day and maybe you picked up on that. But he's not worried about it. He says, line five, uh, 117, Evil into the mind of God or man may come and go so unapproved and leave no spot or blame behind. So he's saying, just because you had this dream that you ate the fruit, that is not in itself evil. It's what you choose to do, not just the fact that a thought, evil thought might have passed through your mind, especially if it was unapproved, you didn't like it. And she is cheered by this, line 130, she was cheered, but silently a gentle tear let fall from either eye. Um, so she accepts his kind of theory of dreams, uh, though of course we know that Adam Adam may be right in general about dreams, but we know that he's wrong about this particular one. So the Adam and Eve get up and they say their morning prayers, and then we get to uh, to heaven with uh, Raphael, line two twenty, Raphael, the sociable spirit. Now most of the angels, uh, the the main ones, are uh, have a particular personality that is is harped on and with Raphael it's so sociable he's he's sometimes called the affable angel he's he's a easy to get along with guy and so God calls him and tells gives him his marching orders at line 230 go therefore half this day as friend with friend converse with Adam so he's telling him to go down and talk to Adam and to, to warn him to beware he swerve not too secure, so don't be overconfident. You've got to do this. And look at all of this is fine, but look at the end of God's speech around line 243. This let him know, lest willfully transgressing, he pretend surprisal, unadmonished, unforewarned. So again, God, the, the Father, with his very legalistic mindset, he's saying, well, he's got, there's no way he's going to get away with anything. You go tell him, and then there's no way he can say he wasn't warned. Uh, again, God is a, a very unpleasant character in Paradise Lost. So Raphael wings his way to earth, and he lands in the garden around line uh, uh, 277. He is a seraph winged. Six wings he wore, 
to shade the lineaments divine, the pair that clad each shoulder broad came mantling o'er his breast with regal ornament. The middle pair, girt like a starry zone his waist, and round skirted his loins and thighs with downy gold and colors dipped in heaven. The third, his feet, shadowed from either heel with feathered mail, sky-tinctured grain, like Maya's son, he stood and shook his plumes that heavenly fragrance filled the circuit wide. So he has six wings. He has two on the upper back, two around his waist, and uh, two wings on his feet, like uh, like Mercury, the messenger of the gods. Um, and he kind of shakes the plumes, and, and uh, perfume comes out of him, um, and it talks about how he kind of, it's very sensual, this uh, image of the angel uh, with his, you know, all of his beautiful colored wings and it smells wonderful like perfume. And he goes into the garden, line 295, it's, it's a wilderness of sweets. For here nature wantoned as in her prime and played at will her virgin fancies, pouring forth more sweet, wild above rule or art, enormous bliss. Now, notice the, that language, wantoned, that's the word it used to describe Eve's hair, and uh, played at will her virgin fancies pouring forth. That kind of echoes the language that Adam was using about dreams. So the, the garden is this, and the garden is this place of excess. It, again, it's wild above rule or art. This isn't a neatly ordered, confined garden. It's uh, nature at its most kind of extravagant and beautiful and extreme. So Adam sees that uh, uh, Raphael is coming to visit, and he tells Eve that, you know, she's got to go prepare food. He says, do we have anything? And he says, well, no, we really don't keep food on hand. We can just always get it in the garden, but don't worry, I'll go and, and get some and be there. Um, so she does, and when Raphael sees her, he says, this is uh, line 388, Hail, mother of mankind, whose fruitful womb shall fill the world more numerous with thy sons than with these various fruits the trees of God have heaped this table. Now, that's a, an echo of the biblical moment when uh, Gabriel uh, speaks to Mary at the Annunciation when he tells her she's going to bear the uh, the Son of God. And this is, he says, Hail Mary, full of grace. Um, so here is Hail, Mother of Mankind. She is the kind of an, an analog to the Virgin Mary here. Um, and Adam invites him, you know, heavenly stranger, please to taste these bounties, which are nourisher, from whom all perfect good unmeasured out descends for, to us for food and for delight hath caused the earth to yield unsavory food perhaps to spiritual natures so he said he, he said here is you know god has given us this and both for our food and for delight and i don't know uh, uh, do you angels eat I, I don't know what angels eat or if you eat or you know all that and raphael reassures him and milton is actually very carefully thought out all of the cosmology of the angels here on line 407 he says food alike to those pure intelligential substances require, as doth your rational, and both contain within them every lower faculty of sense. And it says, for no, whatever was created needs to be sustained and fed. 
So he says, uh, you know, absolutely. There are, uh, we eat just the way that you do. Everything has its proper food. Uh, Line 427, in heaven, the trees of life, ambrosial fruitage bear and vines yield nectar. So yes, we have we have food in heaven, and uh, you know so he's happy to eat. And the epic narrator tells us, uh, line four thirty five. So down they sat, and to their viands fell, nor seemingly the angel, nor in mist, the common gloss of theologians, but with keen dispatch of real hunger, and concoctive heat to transubstantiate what redounds transpires through spirits with ease. So he's saying, Raphael ate, and he really ate. This isn't a kind of an illusion or a a trick or anything. He has a physical body, and he physically ate. And it even says, if you read it carefully, that um, he says, what redounds transpires through spirits with ease, which is a very uh, uh, circuitous way of saying that angels never get constipated. Uh, that they he, they not only eat but they eliminate and they do it with ease, um, and while Eve while while this is happening, uh, we get meanwhile at table, Eve ministered naked, and their flowing cups with pleasant liquors crowned, O oh, innocence deserving paradise. Now, this is one of many examples where Milton is playing head games with us. He gives us this very sensual image of Eve naked, ministering, and pleasant liquors crowned, and then says, Oh, innocence. Oh, wait, yeah, no, I was not having any unpure thoughts about Eve there. No, innocence, right. Um, Milton keeps reminding his reader that they are not unfallen the way Adam and Eve are, that their responses are not the ones that Adam and Eve would have to this. Um, And Raphael goes on and tells him a little bit more about... um, uh, the nature of the spirits. And this brings out something that is very important in Milton's cosmology. Milton was uh, not a dualist. Uh, a dualist believes that there is a physical world and a spiritual world. That those are separate realms. Milton didn't believe that. He believed everything was part of the same physical world. So angels are not kind of ethereal, spiritual, non-material beings. Uh, they are made of a, a more highly refined kind of matter. And Raphael explains this with an analogy around line 480. He says, So from the root springs lighter the green stalk, from thence the leaves more airy, last the bright consummate flower, spirits odorous breathes, Flowers and their fruit, man's nourishment, by gradual scale sublimed, to vital spirits aspire. So he's saying there's a there's a hierarchy. You know, the root is the most you know, uh, heavy earthbound part, but the 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 uh, stalk, the green stalk of a flower, that's more refined, and then the leaves are even more delicate and refined, and then the, then the the petals of the flower get even more so, and then the the fragrance that comes from the flower is just a more refined part of nature. And so that's what angels are like. We're like the the very top of that. We're like the perfume from the flower. Uh, But we're on the same continuum as human beings, which are made of grosser matter. Um, And he even says there's a difference between the way angels and men think. Um, He says, uh, whence the soul receives and reason is her being, 
discursive or intuitive, discourse is oftest yours, the latter most is ours, differing but in degree, of kind the same. So he's saying we both have reason. Man has a more discursive reason. You have to uh, have discourse and argue things out. Angels have more of an intuitive understanding of things, but it's a difference of degree, not of kind. And he goes on and says, a very crucial passage here, line 493. Time may come when men with angels may participate and find no inconvenient diet, nor too light fare. And from these corporal nutriments, perhaps your bodies may at last turn all to spirit, improved by tract of time, and winged, ascend ethereal as we, or may at choice here or in heavenly paradises dwell. So what he's saying is, you know, if we want to continue, he says, maybe this is God's plan. If you, your bodies may eventually kind of be so refined that you'll be the same kind of angelic substance as we are, and you can eat heavenly food, you will ascend to heaven like us. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if you eat the right things, if you, you know, go uh, no carbs, and uh, you'll you'll eventually ascend to heaven. Um, But notice how similar that is to Eve's dream. Eve's dream was like a, 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 a an image of that. You eat something and you ascend to heaven. That's essentially what Raphael is saying. Remember, Raphael is there to warn them against eating the fruit. And he does that. But Raphael is giving some mixed signals here. This is, you know, we're talking about how you can eat the right things and ascend to heaven. But uh, uh, he gets down to the main thing he's here for around line 520. He says to Adam, um, you know, son of heaven and earth, attend that thou art happy, O to God, that thou continuest such, O to thyself, that is, to thy obedience. Therein stand. This was the ca- caution given thee. Be advised. God made thee perfect, not immutable. So he says, you, you know, you need to, to, if you want to stay happy, you have to stay obedient. Uh, you were made perfect, but you're not immutable. You can change. And so this gets him to, Adam, to asking about the first rebellion in heaven, Satan's rebellion. And so after some uh, kind of hemming and hawing and saying, well, it's awfully hard for you human beings to understand the spiritual things in heaven, he gets going and tells him about the uh, uh, the, the rebellion. And... Uh, Look, uh, he gives God's speech, round line 600. He's saying all the angels at a certain day in heaven. And again, heaven is not a kind of a vague, eternal place. It actually has days and nights and a particular time. It's not uh, conceived of as an an eternity. Uh, God brings them together. In line 600, he says, Hear, all ye angels, progeny of light, thrones, dominions, princedoms, virtues, powers. Hear my decree which unrevoked shall stand. This day I have begot whom I declare my only Son, and on this holy hill him have anointed, whom ye now behold my right hand. Your head I him appoint, and by myself have sworn to him shall bow all knees in heaven, and shall confess him Lord under his great vice-regent, reign, abide, united as one individual soul forever happy. Him who disobeys, me disobeys, breaks union, and that day cast out from God in blessed vision, 
falls into utter darkness, deep engulfed, his place ordained without redemption, without end. So, this is the announcement that God is making, and this is the parallel to the prohibition in the Garden of Eden, you can't eat the fruit. The one order that the angels have is, you have to worship the Son the same way that you worship me. If you disobey me, you disobey him, and you are fallen. But notice he also says that this day I have begot my only son. Now, some Milton scholars disagree about this, but it seems to me pretty clear that that means the son didn't exist before. He was begotten, and now he appears, and now everyone has to bow before him. And it says that uh, with his words, all seemed well-pleased, all seemed, but all were not. Um, So Satan is not terribly pleased with this. Um, And he says that, uh, Realm 9, 660, that uh, he was Satan, the first archangel, great in power, in favor, and preeminence, yet fraught with envy against the Son of God that day, honored by his great father, and proclaimed Messiah, king anointed, could not bear through pride that sight, and thought himself impaired. So, we get the uh, the angels kind of go to go to their tents and it's night they don't really have to sleep but they're there um and satan is with beelzebub and asks him around line 672 sleepst thou companion dear what sleep can close thy eyelids and rememberest what decree of yesterday so late hath passed to the lips of heaven's almighty Thou to me thy thoughts was wont, I mine to thee was wont to impart. Both waking we were one. How then can now thy sleep descent? New laws thou seest imposed. New laws from him who reigns, new minds may raise in us who serve. New counsels to debate what doubtful may ensue. More in this place to utter is not safe. So, uh, Beelzebub is his companion says how can you sleep at a time like this didn't you hear that uh, well if there are new laws well maybe we have some new things to do too and, oh but be quiet we can't talk here get all of our angels together and you know, gather them in, the, in one place and I'll, I'll, I'll say more about it later so they kind of sneak off and they're going to you know, start their own camp and of course God sees them around line uh, uh, 718 Uh, smiling, God said to his only son, Son, thou in whom my glory I behold in full resplendence, heir of all my might, nearly it now concerns us to be sure of our omnipotence, and with what arms we mean to hold what anciently we claim of deity or empire. Such a foe is rising who intends to erect his throne equal to ours. Um, And he says, "We, we, we better... Redouble our efforts, lest unawares we lose this our high place, our sanctuary, our hill. To whom the sun, with calm aspect and clear, lightning divine, ineffable, serene, made answer, Mighty Father, thou thy foes justly hast in derision and secure, laughst at their vain designs and tumults vain. So God says, ooh, look, Satan's going to try to overthrow us. We better be real careful or he'll take over everything. 
And the son says, oh, yes, well, that that's really funny, God. You, you made a good joke there. Um, again, God is such an unpleasant character here. He's mocking Satan here. He says, oh, look at that idiot, thinks he can do that. And the son, you know, again, tries to mollify our, our perceptions of God, the father, uh, not always successfully. So Satan gathers his, his fallen angels together, and he has a, a, a speech for them. He says, we're not going to fall, fall down. He says, line 783, prostration vile, too much to one, but double, how endured, to one and to his image now proclaimed? But what if better counsels might erect our minds and teach us to cast off this yoke? He says, look, we're, we are... We don't you know we're angels we're not going to bow the knee it's bad enough doing it to one of them now there are two of them you know the boss's son got this promotion and now we all have to suck up to him no way we're going to cast off this yoke we're going to do our own thing here um he says line 794 who can in reason then or right assume monarchy over such as live by right his equals if in power and splendor less in freedom equal. And this is very interesting because this is almost exactly the argument that Milton himself used as a political writer to justify overthrowing the king in England. This is when Cromwell and uh, the Puritans took over the country and Milton was an apologist for them and this was exactly his, his argument. We're equals. He, he may have more splendor or power than us, but we are in freedom, his equals. We, you know, it, it, he's not nothing special. It's very interesting that Milton puts his own arguments in Satan's mouth. He's always playing head games with us. Now, most of the angels are fine with this, except for Abdiel. And Abdiel is here, I think, Let's think about that. Why would he have this one angel stand up and say, no way? I think it's to show that they have a choice, right? If Abdiel could say no to this, any of them could, but they chose not to. And Abdiel has one of the great opening lines to a speech in, in anything. He says, he's heard Satan say all this, and he says, Oh, argument, blasphemous, false, and proud. I just love that. I've always wished I could put that on a student's paper, you know, but nobody's ever given me an argument blasphemous, false, and proud enough to justify it. Um, Anyway, he goes on, and he's got some really strong arguments. He says, line 823, Shalt thou give law to God? Shalt thou dispute with him the points of liberty, who made thee what thou art, and formed the powers of heaven such as he pleased, and circumscribed their being? What do you mean? You're going to tell God about liberty? He created you. Um, And over line 835, um, an equal to him, begotten son, by whom, as by his word, the mightiest father made all things, even thee, and all the spirits of heaven, by him created in their brightest, bright degrees. God created you. And now you're you're saying all, all of this? And look how, and nobody seconds, Abdiel. And Satan says, line 853, that we were formed, then sayest thou, and the work of secondary hands, 
Pytask transferred from father to his son? Strange point, and new. Doctrine which we would know whence learned. Who saw when this creation was? Rememberst thou thy making while the maker gave thee being? We know no time when we were not as now. Know none before us, self-begot, self-raised, by our own quickening power. God created us? I don't remember God. I didn't see God create us. I think, you know, God didn't create us. We created ourselves. And uh, Abdiel is just just about to blow. Now, uh, where Raphael is affable and sociable, uh, Abdiel is zealous. And he says, line 877, O alienate from God, O spirit accursed, forsaken of all good, I see thy fall determined. And uh, he says, I'm, I'm getting out of here, not because I'm afraid of you, because God's going to come and punish you, and I don't want to be around when he does. Line 886. That golden scepter which thou didst reject is now an iron rod to bruise and break thy disobedience. Well thou didst advise, yet not for thy advice or threats I fly these wicked tents devoted, lest the wrath impendent, raging into sudden flame, distinguish not. For soon expect to feel his thunder on thy head, devouring fire. Then who created thee, lamenting, learn, who, uh, when who can uncreate thee, thou shalt know. You know God, God made thee, he can unmake you too, and I'm not going to be around here when he does. Uh, now in book six, we're skipping book six, but Abdiel goes back and he is welcomed back into the fold and he finds that Michael is leading an army of angels to uh, to conquer Satan. Uh, now, three days of battle, and it's kind of fought to a standstill. But then on the third day, appropriately enough, uh, the sun comes out in his chariot, and just the sight of him destroys Satan and his army, and he casts them into hell, which is where, of course, Paradise Lost started. Then in Book 7, we get the creation of the world, uh, we, which is... Uh, Milton's expansion of the first chapter of Genesis. Uh, in book eight, there's it starts, uh, part of the book eight that we skipped, is a conversation between Adam and Raphael, and Eve leaves. And when she does, the first thing Adam asks Raphael is, you know, I've been wondering, why do the stars shine at night when uh, there's nobody around to see them? Exactly the question he gave a very confident, like a man, gave a very confident answer to. Uh, it turns out he's been thinking about it, too. It never occurred to him. Eve has a curiosity about things that Adam just doesn't have. He would never have thought to ask that. And Raphael's answer is this very abstruse, scientific, difficult-to-follow argument that really is almost impenetrable. But then Adam says, well, you, you've told me all this story about how uh, the, the rebellion in, in heaven and the creation and all this. Let me tell you about something you might not know about my creation. Um, and this starts in book eight, around line 255. Um, he, he comes as new waked from soundest sleep, soft on the flowery herb I found me laid in balmy sweat, which... With his beams the sun soon dried, and on the reeking moisture fed. Straight toward heaven my wandering eyes I turned. So he kind of wakes up in a sweat, and the, the sun burns that away, and he looks straight up to the sun. And he says, um, 
on line 273, Thou son, said I, fair light. Now, remember, that's uh, uh, Satan had his soliloquy to the son. Now, uh, Adam is talking to it as well. Uh, he says, uh, fair light, and thou enlightened earth so fresh and gay, ye hills and dales, ye rivers, woods and plains, and ye that live and move, fair creatures, tell, tell if you saw, how came I thus, how here? Not of myself, by some great maker then, in goodness and in power preeminent. Now notice that you know Satan was making that argument that, uh, well, I don't know, I didn't see myself being created, I probably created myself. Adam has the reasons out that, well, I didn't make myself. There must be some, uh, I was created, there must be some creator, some maker who made me. Um, and actually we know from Satan's soliloquies that he does acknowledge that God created him. He just was uh, giving a speech there. Um, so Adam you know, goes around, he, nobody to talk to, but uh, at, after a while he gets tired in line eight, uh, 287, there gentle sleep first found me, and with soft oppression seized my drowsed sense, untroubled, though I thought I then was passing to my former state, insensible, and forthwith to dissolve. So remember, this is the first time he's ever gone to sleep, and he thinks, oh, well, I guess I'm this. that's what life is, and now I'll just cease to exist. Um, he didn't realize that he would wake up again. But he has a dream, um, and... God comes to him in his dream. He says, I come thy guide to the garden of bliss. Uh, it tells him, you know, whom thou sawest, I am. Uh, and this is where he gives him the one order. He, in the dream, he takes him to the, the garden of paradise. And it says, line 323, But of the tree whose operation brings knowledge of good and ill, which I have set the pledge of thy obedience and thy faith, Amid the garden by the tree of life, remember what I warn thee. Shun to taste and shun the bitter consequence. For know, the day thou eatst thereof, my soul command transgressed, inevitably thou shalt die. Uh, so he's got the, uh, the his marching orders from God, and God brings all the animals so that uh, Adam can name them. They you approach two by two, like Noah's Ark, and um, it suggests that Adam has just an, uh, an intuitive understanding of them, and that allows him to give them their, their names. But he says, line 355, In these I found not what methought I wanted still. And to the heavenly vision thus presumed, oh, By what name, for thou above all these, above mankind, or aught than mankind higher, surpassest far my naming, so he acknowledges, I, I can't give a name to you, God. I, these lesser things I can, I can name, but you're above me. Uh, how may I adore thee, author of this universe, and all this good to man, for whose well-being so amply and with hands so liberal thou hast provided all things? But with me I see not who partakes. In solitude, what happiness? So, uh, this, this is wonderful, I'm praising you, but... You know, it's just me here. I, I see all these animals are in pairs, but there's nobody for me. And God replies, What callst thou solitude? Is not the earth with various living creatures and the air replenished? He says, well, what is a solitude? What do you mean? There are animals all around you. 
And Adam is very deferential. You know, he says, line 379, Let not my words offend thee, heavenly power, my maker, uh, but be propitious while I speak. Hast thou not made me here thy substitute, and these inferior far beneath me set? Among unequals, what society consort? And he says, line 390, A fellowship I speak, such as I seek, fit to participate all rational delight wherein the brute cannot be human consort. He said, yes, I, I understand that there are animals here, but you've kind of set me up as their head the way you're the head of me. He understands the, the hierarchy here. And he says, you can't have a, a, a society with unequals. You can't have fellowship. Uh, they, these animals don't have reason the way that I do. Um, to which God replies, line 400, a nice and subtle happiness I see thou self to thy uh, thou to thyself proposest in the choice of thy associates, Adam. He's kind of like, well, la di da, you've really got a lot of demands here, don't you? And it says, line four hundred five, seem I to thee sufficiently possessed of happiness or not, who am alone from all eternity? He says, what, what do you mean? I'm I'm alone now. This again. We know that God is testing him, which kind of makes this a little bit irritating, like almost everything that God says in Paradise Lost. Uh, But this is actually untrue. God is not alone. Uh, He has the Son, who is his equal. Uh, He doesn't mention that, and of course Adam has no way of knowing that. He doesn't know that yet. Uh, So God is actually lying here, um, which again is very irritating. Um, But Adam does come back, and he comes back with really smart arguments. He says, line 415, Supreme of things, thou in thyself art perfect, and in thee is no deficience found. Not so in this man, but in degree, the cause of his desire by conversation with his like to help of solace his defects. No need that thou shouldst propagate, already infinite. So he says, well, yes, you, you may be alone, but you're perfect. You're you're God. And also, you don't need to propagate. You you don't have to make little baby gods. You're already infinite. And he then goes on, says line uh, 433, I, by conversing, cannot these erect from prone. So he says, if you wanted to, you could raise me to your uh, level. I can't do this with these animals. I can't make them as rational as I am the way you could if you wanted to to me. And here, God kind of relents and says, Thus far, to try the Adam, I was pleased. Oh, it was just all a test. Oh, that's great, God. Uh, He says, line 445, I, ere thou spakest, knew it not good for man to be alone, and I knew it all along, um, and no such company as then thou sawest intended thee. For trial only brought to see how thou couldst judge of fit and meet. What next I bring thee shall please thee, be assured. So he says, I, I, I knew it all along. This was just a little test for you. Uh, now I'm going to give you what you wanted. Uh, and he falls asleep again, but he has a, a, a dream vision. As he says, Adam says, line 460, Mine eyes he closed but open left the cell of fancy, my internal sight. So here's fancy, his imagination. Again, that 
that's, that links very closely to what he said about dreams. You know, he's the, the fancy is, wakes when you're asleep. And he sees God take a rib with cordial spirits warm, that's cordial, from the heart, and lifeblood streaming, fresh. Wide was the wound, but suddenly with flesh filled up and healed. Uh, so God takes the out from the the rib from him and forms it into woman, and when he wakes up, he he sees God bringing uh, or Eve with him. Uh, such I saw her, and is in my such as I saw her in my dreams. This is line four eighty three, adorned with what all earth or heaven could bestow to make her amiable. On she came, led by her heavenly Maker the one seen. So she comes in, and remember, we've heard this story from Eve about their first meeting. Um, and remember there, she turned away from him, and he has an explanation for this, line 500. She heard me thus, and though divinely brought, yet innocence and virgin modesty, her virtue and the conscience of her worth that would be wooed and not unsought be won, not obvious, not obtrusive, but retired, the more desirable, or, to say all, nature herself, though pure of sinful thought, wrought in her so that, seeing me, she turned. So Eve's explanation for that was that Adam was not as attractive as the image of herself that she had seen. Adam is, oh, she's she's playing hard to get. She's being shy and modest. She knows that I ought to have to woo her. Um, she's pure of sinful thought, all of that. She she turns away. Says, I followed her. She, what was honor, knew, and with obsequious majesty approved my pleaded reason. So the idea is that he pleaded and reasoned and talked her into going with him. That's not at all what Eve said. Eve said, he grabbed my hand, he seized my hand, and I yielded. Um, And then to the nuptial bower I led her, blushing like the morn. Um, These are very interesting, he said, she said. And now, Adam has heard what Eve told him, is, is, uh, but this is the way he perceives it. Um, it, it it's a very different kind of, of uh, take on what happened, and I think it gives insight into their psychologies. Um, and he's talking about how Eve's effect on him, um, he says line 547, excuse me, uh, yet when I approach her loveliness, so absolute she seems, and in herself complete, so well to know her own, that what she wills to do or say seems wisest, virtuous, discreetest, best. All higher knowledge in her presence falls degraded. He's saying, I just lose my head with her. I mean, he says, I know she's uh, uh, she's inferior to me, of course, but you know, when I'm with her, she just seems like she's the most wonderful thing in the world. Uh, and, and this, I think, again, Paradise Lost does this. It presents the the party line that the man is superior and the woman is inferior, but everything else in the poem seems to point to the idea that Eve really is superior. And Raphael gives him a little lecture here. He says, uh, accuse not nature. Uh, and he says, what transports thee so? An outside? He says, well, just because she looks pretty. 
uh, or line 580, but if the sense of touch whereby mankind is propagated seems such dear delight beyond all other, think the same vouch to cattle and to each beast. He tells him, in loving thou dost well, in passion not. You know, don't let your passions overrule you. Um, and Adam you know, takes this and he says, well, in procreation common to all kinds, though higher of the genial bed by far and with mysterious reverence I deem, it's not that so much delights me as those graceful acts, those thousand decencies that daily flow from all her words and actions, mixed with love and sweet compliance, which declare unfeigned union of mind. So he's saying, no, it's it's not that she's so beautiful. It's it's her. It's her personality. It's all of the the. It's how wonderful she is. Those decencies, all of that. But this leads him to a question. He asks, uh, line 615, um, If lawful, I, I would ask, Love not the heavenly spirits, and how their love express they? By looks only, or do they mix irradiance, virtual or immediate touch? You know, he's saying, well, you know, that, that reminds me, do, do angels have sex, and how do they do they? Do it? Do they just look at each other, or do they you actually kind of, you know, bump uglies, or what, what? What is it you do? And Raphael blushes. To whom the angel, with a smile that glowed celestial rosy red, loves proper hue, answered. He says, "Let it suffice thee that thou knowest us happy, and without love, no happiness." Whatever pure thou in body enjoyest, and pure thou wert created, we enjoy in eminence. An obstacle find none of membrane, joint, or limb, exclusive bars. Easier than air with air, if spirits embrace, total they mix, union of pure with pure desiring, not restrained conveyance need as flesh to mix with flesh or soul with soul. So Raphael is saying, well, I'm not going to get into all the details, but let's just say that uh, without love, there's no happiness, and believe me, angels are happy. And it, it, just as there is a scale of being that we're higher on, there's a scale of sex, and we're higher on that. Whatever you enjoy in your physical bodies, we enjoy it even more than you can imagine. Uh and he says, oh, but I can no more. The parting sun beyond the earth's green cape and verdant isles Hesperian sets my signal to depart. Uh, so he says, oh my, uh, look at the time. I would love to tell you about angel sex, but oh, got to go. Uh, remember, don't break God's commandment. Um, so this is, I, can't, I think, a funny moment in Paradise Lost. And it also shows how seriously Milton takes the idea of a, a material angels. Uh, they're not purely spiritual beings. They're physical. They eat. They poop. Uh, they have sex. Um, they uh, they do all of that. Um, another interesting side note, if you think about it, all of the angels we've seen have been male. Uh, does that mean it's gay sex? Um, it says also that they can either sex assume or both so they can be both male and female. Does that mean in succession or simultaneously? It's when you start thinking of it, very, very kinky. And I don't think that's maybe what Milton had in mind. 
But he did have in mind to say that the sexual union was not something that was sinful, which many people at his time and maybe even today still believe. Uh, He believed angels like men were physical beings and so they had sex the same way they ate and and did everything else. Um, All right. Well, on that note, we'll leave book eight. Book nine is the story of the fall itself. And it's interesting to think of book nine as a series of debates. Uh, First of all, you'll see how Satan sneaks back into paradise. Remember, they're kind of watching for him now. So see how he figures out how to get into paradise. And we have another soliloquy, and we'll see how his character has uh, evolved or devolved since his last one. And then think about book nine as a series of debates. Adam and Eve have a debate in the morning when they decide whether they should split up or not. Then Satan has a debate with Eve about whether she should eat the fruit or not. Then Eve, after she's eaten the fruit, has a debate with herself about whether she should give it to Adam or not. When Adam sees her, he has a debate, an internal debate, about whether he should eat the fruit or not. And then after they've eaten the fruit, the two of them have a uh, a debate that ends uh, uh, book nine. So in each of those debates and arguments, think about what the reasons are, what convinces uh, what's the convincing argument that is made? And also, think about what is it that makes them, Adam and Eve, different after the fall? How are they different? Uh, you know, it, Book 9 kind of begins and ends with debates between Adam and Eve. How is the debate they have at the end of Book 9 different than the one they have at the beginning? And what does that tell us about what they have lost, what their fallen state is like? Uh, So we'll be talking about all of that for next time. Um, Again, questions can be addressed to drmarkwomack at gmail.com. I thank you for your attention, and I will talk to you next time.